Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, August 31st is the end of August, and this is the beginning of episode 86. Well, just ahead, Zoom's business is really strong, except for one part of that business. We're going to drill down on Zoom. Plus, you say you want to be the square of Brazil, but show me the customers. And don't show me the losses. We're going to drill down on Stoneco and Bark the highly profitable dog-obsessed company selling everything your pooch needs. Our guest, Bark's CEO, Manish Jonagia, joins us to talk about customer acquisition, the costs funnel, the customer funnel, and why other companies aren't reporting their true churn rate. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All with an easy use, easy to use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. One of our new favorites, Listen Notes. Check us out on Listen Notes. You can listen to us at three times speed. Boy, there's nothing like it. Hearing us with those really squeaky high voices talking really fast. Whatever your speed, whatever your podcast platform, make sure you click subscribe and follow us to catch every show. And The Drill Down is also brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're explaining the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell us the three most important developments in the world of business today. Uh, Corey, let's get to home prices. The U.S. home price growth rose to a record in June. I'm talking about the Case-Shiller Index rising 18.6% as robust demand continued to outpace the number of homes on the market. Gotta say, June marked the highest annual rate of price growth since the index began to calculate these figures back in 1987. That's just amazing. I mean, it's yeah. amazing that this price increase in housing continues to this day. Yeah, it's a, a good investment to invest in real estate. All right, let's move on to South Korea. Sound like a homeowner. Yeah, listen, uh, Google and Apple were hit by the first law threatening their dominance over app store payments. South Korea is requiring the companies to allow competing payment systems, threatening their 30% cut of most in-app digital sales. So this is uh, a big a big blow to Google and Apple, and I'm sure other countries are watching to see how this plays out. Uh, indeed, and uh, you know we saw sort of a little crack in that last week. We didn't discuss it at great length, but you know Apple um, announced a settlement of sorts with some of the people suing, but it was a $100 million fund that certain app developers can dip into. Apple makes a more $200 million a day. So this was a really uh, de minimis expense for Apple to try to make some of these things go away. But it's not going away, as we can see from what's going on uh, in Korea. Uh, now let's get to Nigeria. Nigeria is partnering with Bit to launch its own cryptocurrency called eNera. Am I pronouncing that right? eNera? Sure. It's All right, eNera. Digital. Then, there is no pronunciation. There you go. This Nigerian digital currency is expected to launch later this year. And it's worth noting that this is a big about face. Back in February, Nigeria barred its banks and financial institutions from dealing in or facil facilitating transactions in cryptocurrencies. And also, I got to mention that Barbados-based Bit earlier this year led the development of the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union's Dcash, 
the first digital cash issued by a currency union central bank. So remember the big deal that was made of, of uh, um, El Salvador when mm-hmm. in a digital currency? And yeah, we talked about it here. Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. El Salvador has about 4 million people. Nigeria has 100 million people. Yeah. 60 million of them. It's the second largest economy in Africa. Um, they, 60 million people there are unbanked. The notion of a digital currency for one of the biggest economies in the world, top 25 economy in the world, and where most of those people, the majority of them don't have banks or don't at all, the idea that they could move assets around within that country using this currency if it gets off the ground and actually works here, that's a huge deal. And I got to think that the, the fact that this story happened in Africa, people aren't thinking about the economy of Nigeria when they write U.S. business news stories. One of the reasons it's overlooked. I also think this is bullish for other digital currencies. Yes, including the, the my totally biased. I used to work at Ripple, enjoyed it. They use a currency called XRP to move uh, money across borders. The, the, the notion of moving money across borders in Africa or from Africa to Europe, from Africa to Asia, the idea that you could do all of that digitally is greatly advanced by the adoption of a Nigerian digital uh, stablecoin, if that's what BIT decides to do. Also worth noting, BIT is owned by Medici Ventures, which is the blockchain subsidiary of Overstock.com. So really, this is an Overstock.com deal at least from a company that's owned by their venture capital arm. It's very cool. And, you know, a lot of these mobile banking advancements started to take root in Africa because they're not banked traditionally. And so, you know, the mobile banking trend really started there in Kenya and and Nigeria. Cash payments on the phone from cash payments on the phone is the way a lot of business is done in Africa. If you think about some things about Africa, uh, a nation, uh, a nation, a a continent that never got Mm -hmm. wired like mm-hmm. the West did. So they went straight, they skipped a step and went straight to wireless. You're yeah. seeing that with power where there are, there are solar um, installations that are local that aren't, that don't connect to a grid at all, skipping the the step of building a grid. This suggests that there's another way forward to that with this. We'll see if they actually roll this thing out in size, but it's a, it's an interesting idea and a, and a really big step. I think just the notion of it for a country is as huge as Nigeria. Corey, what stocks you're drilling down on today? Let's look at Stone Co. Stone Co. Uh, trades under S-T-E, I'm sorry, S-T-N-E, Stone Co. Trades under S-T-N-E. Shares fell 6% today, and they've fallen 8% over the past 12 months. So uh, what is Stone Co.? Well, Who some have likened it to the Square of Brazil. Okay. Um, and it's a fintech company, and they announced their earnings today. They announced that they're seeing higher delinquencies than expected. And uh, there was a change in the regulatory methods that Brazil registers receivables. Now, what the, what these guys would do is they would essentially take a deposit from the the people that they were going to do business with, their merchants and so on. I'm oversimplifying here, but um, they found it difficult to collect some of those deposits back with this change in the law. And their recoveries from what they call non-performing clients, in other words, businesses that aren't doing well or even going sneakers up, that they can't get that money back. And uh, it's been a problem. The collection process has been a problem. They need to change it. And when I listen to conference calls, it sounds like they don't really know what they need to do. And they're still trying to figure it out. Now they had um, lockdowns didn't help. COVID-19 has been especially horrible in Brazil. Um, but their collateral for their card system just wasn't working. And they, they, they blamed the, quote, inappropriate behavior of some merchants who took advantage of flaws in the system. Sounds like there was like something like a bank robbery. It doesn't sound a lot like a square to me. Here is the uh, CEO, Tiago 
How? In terms of the stone perspective and what we are doing, as Leah said, we are improving our underwrite risk assessment and capability to make sure that we really understand the client and the behavior of the client. Because two things happen here. One is the industry had this collateral leakage type of problem, but in the end of the day, our clients, they decided to move from our payment solution to another acquired payment solution. And then we were not seeing that cash flow anymore because of the, pro- the, the collateral leakage. So what we want to evolve is why our clients move to another uh, acquiring player. Why? At the end of the day, we understand that because of the pandemic, many of the clients, they are trying to protect cash flows and renegotiate the contracts later and decided to move, uh, not to pay the credit in the beginning. So we want to evolve our risk assessment of our clients to make sure that we protect the business for this type of behavior in the future. Although it's important that the collateral is working pretty well. So they want to evolve. They want to understand. Doesn't sound to me like they're there yet, uh, which is a pretty big deal. They don't understand why their customers say, we don't like this service anymore. We're going to a competitor. Collateral leakage. That's my favorite phrase out of that whole thing. Collateral leakage. I love that. Ooh, Sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Go see your doctor. My God. Corey, what is your next drill down? I always like to look at jazz. Let's look at jazz pharmaceuticals. Jazz pharmaceuticals trades under jazz. G, I mean, G. <laughs> J-A-Z-Z. Shares are relatively flat for the year, dropping just around 2% over the past 12 months. Uh, tell me about jazz pharmaceuticals. And by the way, after all these years, if Cleveland can name the, change the name of their baseball team, is it really okay for the Utah team to call themselves jazz so many years after they left New Orleans. That's ridiculous, the Utah Jazz. But I digress. <laughs> it's very true, though. Come on. Like, so just, let's yeah. talk about narcolepsy. Let's. Yeah, Since let's do that. I got up at that. 4.30 this morning to take my daughter to, to water polo practice. Um, narcolepsy is a serious issue in this country. Uh, somewhere from between 135,000 and 200,000 people in the United States have narcolepsy. It starts okay, narcolepsy early. is when you have trouble sleeping. Sorry, no, it's, it's, when, it's when you're not off in the middle of the day. Oh my God, <laughs> should we re-record that? I didn't even realize. No, I've, no, okay. no, no. I, we're sticking with it. Okay, so yeah, let's just stick it with it. I didn't like know what the term is. Kind of like you did this podcast today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just nodded off. I guess I had a little okay. bit of narcolepsy there for a moment. Oh, I'm, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Okay, so okay, narcolepsy uh, can start in childhood, ages seven to 25, although it can occur at any time in life. Jazz Pharma has a treatment for narcolepsy. Um, and uh, it's called, they, they mark it on the name Sinosi, something called Solria Fetal, something like that. Um, but Sinosi, uh, they sell in the U.S. and they sell it successfully in the U.S. It's, the business is actually growing quite nicely in the U.S. They just got approval today uh, with Health Canada for uh, commercial availability of Sinosi with uh, those who suffer from um, uh, narcolepsy, excessive daytime sleepiness, known as EDS. Um, or obstructive sleep apnea, which of course is uh, the thing that helps keeps people from being able to sleep through the night. They did some phase three clinical studies in Canada, which included four randomized placebo-controlled studies, more than 1,500 adults. Now, um, it's it's really interesting, the science behind this, because essentially with the way that they try to treat narcolepsy is to help you have a better night's sleep through these uh, natural chemicals administered from this pill, um, but uh, they uh, they actually had a 
It was a fast-growing business in the U.S. They did uh, $12 million in sales in just the most recent quarter, up 41% from the previous year. They were able to add Europe recently. They've been for sale in the U.S. for a couple of years, now adding Canada. But they continue to study this and look for new drugs um, uh, that can be used for insomnia or that insomnia drugs that can be sort of reversed to be used uh, um, you know, to help people sleep and stay awake during the day. Here is an interesting, some interesting comments from a guy named Robert Iannone, and he's the uh, executive vice president uh, at Jazz, executive vice president of R&D, but ways of looking for still more drugs to try to deal with this big problem of narcolepsy. You know that there are drugs that have been used to antagonize the system that can be used for uh, um, insomnia. So it's a, it's a target and a mechanism that's very interesting. Uh, the data are early, though, in terms of how effective they are, for example, on cataplexy as well as other symptoms of narcolepsy, such as daytime sleepiness. But fundamentally, um, oxybate is a critical therapy for narcolepsy because it's given at nighttime and helps to address uh, some of the underlying root cause of narcolepsy. And by, by improving sleep at night, it then improves daytime symptoms around excessive sleepiness and is very effective in, re in reducing, eliminating uh, cataplexy in even the most severe patients. And it's often used um, in conjunction with daytime alerting agents uh, to even improve alertness uh, and minimize daytime sleepiness. Now, I know that you thought that Pete's coffee was also a solution for this. But as yeah. I learned from Michael Pollan's new book, uh, caffeine stays in your system. 50% of it stays 12 hours later. Oh, well, I've, so I've, I felt that in real time a few times. Cup of coffee <laughs> at noon. You still got half of that in you at midnight. Yeah. I can't drink coffee in the afternoons anymore, but, you know, I'm just getting older. That's what happens. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Zoom. Zoom. I don't think I've ever heard of this company. Oh, hmm. come on. <laughs> Zoom. You have like three a day. Yeah, exactly. Zoom uh, trades under Z-O-O-M. Zoom shares fell 14% today and they fall on 4% in a year. So what's going on with Zoom? We're all yeah, using it. Zoom We're on trade, it every day. The COVID trade yeah. uh, is officially over. I'm calling it officially over. But, and, and that has been the headline and that's what people have been discussing since the results came out. But uh, and, you know, you saw that in TV today, if God forbid you watched um, Bubble Vision. But what was really interesting today in those results was, first of all, the results were super strong. Customers have paid more than 100 grand, uh, up 131% year over year. Operating margins uh, were fantastic, of 29%. The non-GAAP, when you take out stock comp and other things, 42%. Free cash flow of nearly half a billion dollars compared to about $373 million a year ago. So just a super strong quarter. They did, however, bring numbers down in terms of the expectations for the third quarter. And most interestingly to me, Isaac, was that, the, that a certain type of business, what they refer to as their online business, was the one that really slowed down. Now, one might argue, entomologically, that all their business is online. It's Zoom, for God's sake. But they call their online business the customers they don't have to sell. Well, they've just got their website up. People come on, log in, and buy the product. That business slowed down. That's a small business product for small business individuals. And not surprisingly, people start to return to work a little bit. People um, who've, who are already working from home, maybe their companies have caught up with their own solutions, whether it's Zoom or something else. They aren't jumping up to buy this stuff if they didn't have it already. 
And of course, there are competitors in the marketplace, not least of which Google um, is out there in size. So uh, the CFO, uh, Kelly Steckelberg, talked about um, the online business. Again, think of that as a small business is just not really looking to, to Zoom as much as they were a year ago. Yeah. So remember, the online business is primarily, not not exclusively, but primarily small businesses and individuals. And I think what we've seen is, um, well, you know, while the future of Delta is still unknown, we do see individuals especially moving around the world and feeling comfortable. Like I think we were talking about most of us are probably um, socializing in person now, doing fewer things like Zoom happy hours. And that's where we're starting to see some of the challenges. So the net dollar expansion in the online segment is, is what's driving, pulling that number down a little bit. Zoom happy hours. It's Zoom. It's, it's a booze problem. People are sobering up. Not in my world. I hate to hear that. But I was. Did you, did you go through a Zoom happy hour period? Uh, it was brief. It was brief. I mean, I, I found them so, uh, they, they weren't fulfilling at all. I had a great one with our old friends, our old colleagues, Chelsea and Kat. And I thought they were like, this is okay. so much fun. All my fraternity brothers, we did one. Oh, that's Founders nice. Day and the anniversary of the founding of my fraternity. It was so much fun. I think those were the only two that we did. Yeah. Mine were mostly for birthday parties. A few just friends, friend things, but like mostly birthday parties. Birthday parties for your children? Those are the big drinking events? No, they were all adults. Okay. Right. Yeah. What frat just were you second. in? I was in the Theta Chi fraternity. Thank you for oh, asking. Okay. I was a sick up. Yeah, Rivals. Knows? Not really, but you know, who knows? I love it. Up next, we're going to talk about a really big business in providing stuff for dogs. People got a lot of dogs during COVID. People had a lot of dogs before that. Company Bark has got a really interesting data-driven model to serve that market. Regardless of your business, you will surely learn something about running a data-driven model from the Bark CEO, Manish Joneja. The Drill Down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down. As promised, we're joined by Bark CEO Manish Joneja. Uh, he joins us right now to talk about his company, which is not called Original Bark or Official Bark. As it, as it appears in what I my part, type in the ticker, but it's called Bark because they deal with dogs. Uh, thanks for joining us. We need, you're, you're, uh, I will listen to a recent conference call. You said something about the, the purpose of the company. What's the, what is the mission statement for the company? Hey, um, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, we are Bark. So our mission is to make all dogs happy. Um, we have had that mission since inception uh, in 2012. Bark is a vertically integrated, data-driven, dog-obsessed brand. It's dogs only. We serve the categories like fun. So if you've had a dog like BarkBox, which are Instagram-worthy themed goodies, food, uh, Bark Eats, which we are scaling, 
home, example, dog beds and health, um, dental products uh, that are innovative, you know, that your dogs can enjoy and you don't get scratched trying to brush their teeth, uh, which a lot of us struggle with. We design and make our own unique products and deliver a personalized experience, not just curated, uh, but personalized to you for your dog. And we personalize these offerings by leveraging data as well as personal relationships via our happy team, which is our customer service team, for a fun and healthy lifestyle. We do direct to consumer, but also through retailers. And one way to think of us is a dog parent's co-pilot through all stages of a dog's life and lifestyle. Uh, it's 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 a it's a massive massive market. I don't think we need to. Um, I'm also going to work really hard to avoid the dog puns today. But I, I, <laughs> it is a massive market, um, and uh, I think everyone kind of knows that, right? People have pets, and people have maybe more pets after COVID. I'll ask you about that in a minute, but um, specifically. I think what's really interesting is how you really run this as a, it's, you know, it's like so many other businesses, which are about, you know, customer satisfaction, customer acquisition costs, and, and, you know, trying to drive something down to the bottom line. Yeah, it is a tremendous market. So we are fortunate to operate in a fantastic segment with significant growth opportunity and are super excited about our future. The opportunity is huge, as I said, right? So over half of the U.S. households, more than 63 million houses have dogs as pets. We served almost 2 million um, in our last quarter that we announced. This reflects like a massive opportunity we have to extend our customer base just within the U.S. And combined with the humanization of dogs, this continues to end the premiumization of dog, continues to drive strong growth trends. And one thing, you know, one way to look at it is, when I think about kids and dogs, there's an emotional connection. Uh, you're not buying a pair of sunglasses or shoes or jeans where you would go and click three buttons, radio buttons on a site and buy it. It's very different. And that's exactly where this opportunity lies is the market right now industry is mostly dominated by a legacy market approach, you know, transactional commerce. So it's transactional experience. So, so in put a up category. a store, have the customer come in and buy the dog food and throw a couple of rawhides in. Exactly. You go buy a 30 pound bag of dog food and each dog is unique, just like every kid is unique. Like I have twin boys who are five years old, identical twins. They have their unique personalities. I've had two dogs, they have unique personalities, even though they will be same breed. So there's nothing that actually personalizes in the market right now for your dog. And that's a huge miss from a world where all of us are spending more time, more money on dogs. And, you know, we're spending more as a companion. Uh, and that's exactly what we are well positioned to do. No, I get it. I have too many dogs. <laughs> How many dogs do you have? One. <laughs> but I, but I, it's interesting to me that... Um, that as you grow this business, that you've got people who are willing to really spend and your gross margins are spectacular in this business. Explain to me why that is the case, given that food is not a big part of your business. Yeah, so we started our business in the play category. Uh, if you look at the play category, we'd be almost $400 million uh, that we've grown uh, at a 60%, almost 60% gross margin. And that's because we vertically integrated. So we design our own products, we develop them, and we basically ship them out to our customers. And that's very different than, you know, putting three toys in a box from different brands. That brand resonance is incredible. We, the products that we develop are not developed in silo. We actually create this feedback loop. So the happy team that I mentioned, which are a customer service team, talks to you, understands what you like, because you're a customer, your dog is a consumer, then we feed it back. 
So I can tell you, for example, that certain dog breeds in certain states might not, or certain age might not like crinkle toys. Uh, they might like something that's more aggressive in terms of chew. They would like a different sort of a tasting treat or taste preferences. So we collect that massive data set oh. and build this dog tech platform. So I can tell you if you have your dog by looking at the data, what to expect next year. So predictive analytics, and that's how we actually serve them better. Just by being vertically integrated, Right. We have 9 million social media followers. That's larger than I believe Peloton or other partners, other people that have seen out there. And that's we growing 60% gross margin. Uh, and our CAC has been incredible. We haven't spent a lot of money in CAC. And that's we do by being relevant and fresh in the whole Customer business to make sure. Costs, I should mention. Uh, yes. CAC being and I, it's, it's also interesting to me how you, what your retail strategy has been. Explain to me how this business over the course of the last four years or so went from, I, I'm going to, try to classify these business partners, but you had sort of Urban Outfitters and then Subaru. Yep. Target and Meyer, right? It's kind yes. of medium high-end retailers, right? Glossier, and then the big boxes. So let's start with Urban Outfitters, Subaru. What was going on there? Because initially this, of course, was a subscription, self-curated service. Yep. So a large portion of our business is direct to consumer. You know, when you work with us, we learn more about you. Every conversation we have, we have that data to inform us better, to serve you better. And it's not a, you know, set and forget business because another anecdote, I'm a big anecdotes guy. Um, you know, if, if I'm subscribing to diapers for my kids as an age two, the company would send me diaper size two for five years as if my kids weren't growing. Same thing with dogs, dogs grow. So we work with our wellness providers and nutritionists to actually serve your dogs as they grow. So it's not a set and forget. We are sort of a co-pilot with you. So we evolve the offerings over time. When you think about the commerce business, it, it all evolves back. We work backwards from our mission, which is to make all dogs happy. That means that if you're walking in a Target store, or if you're basically getting a six pack of beer from a store, or you're buying you know, Dunkin' Donuts coffee, we work on those aspects because we want to be part of your regular life. And as you go through your life experience, we convert and basically drive you back into the ecosystem. We recently announced partnership with Lowe's. Um, we announced with Netflix. So you'll see more of these names come out because that's part of your sort of a life experience, right? So when you live and experience that day, how you spend, we think about every moment you spend with your dog or you spend sort of in commerce business and we drive you back into the system. So as you've grown with those partners, uh, let's talk about the big box stores. What is, you know, you talk a little bit in your conference calls and so on about uh, your relationship with Costco and Walmart um, and so on, the the, the big retailers. What, the, what do they do for your business? So Costco and Target. So, um, let me answer that in two parts. So the, the the primary part is that when you serve a customer in a store, in a partner store, let's say Target, uh, or if you're going into a different store, it's really important that you understand the customers that are walking there so you can buy a $6 toy. And the designs that we develop are not just, you know, the products that we have to put on the store. We actually work with them to create products that resonates with their customers' cohorts as well as our customers' cohorts. So that's why we are really successful. In our design team, which is led by our chief creative officer, Mikkel, um, who's from Lego, he thinks about that, his team thinks about this every single time. And so that's where you see our toys and our products and everything we develop being very different than typical products that you might see. And that's one. Second is when we actually work with them, I'll take an example of a, a partner where we were an end cap. You know, that end cap, when we got removed uh, for testing, we saw, they saw dip in conversion. The fact that Bark products being an end cap was driving conversion was a win-win scenario. So we work with these partners oh, wait, so the to So the conversion actually, for the retailer? Yes, the conversion for the retailer. So that's a win-win Conversion of like subscriptions, like a Costco kind of Sam's Club subscription? Or you Not mean a subscription. 
so when you when you have pet isle for example you have different brands in that the end cap is the premium essentially you know the real estate sure. when we were there the conversion was double digit higher when we were not there it was lower so that itself test proved essentially that you know we are kind of a brand that drives conversion for our partners and it's a win-win for them and for us uh, and that's again by building products that resonate really well for the dog parents because that's what we do well we do dogs well and it seems that also that you've been able and you guys talked about this um uh, whenever you meet with investors about the ability to kind of upsell and cross sell and get the customer who's come in for one thing to leave with a lot more. Yes, we call it um, cross selling is called right now is add to box. And that's super exciting for us. Um, one uh, metric that I had shared in the earnings report was we almost got like a dollar incremental from add to box on our base subscription. And that's growing. And if you look at the journey right now for us, we were in play first and then we started expanding into home health and food. And this ADB is twofold. One is that our entire subscription list that we had early on was primarily play. So what you're seeing is sort of diversification and scaling of different products coming in. Second part of it is, you know, we want to make sure that we surface to you something that you like. For example, if I learn that you're a, you know, let's say you're a Seahawks fan uh, or 49ers fan, we want to serve Thank something you. to you. Thank you. Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I got no beef with Russell Wilson, but other than that. Come on. <laughs> Let's say you're a sports team fan. We use that data essentially to surface to you what will convert you better. So we create dog toys that convert for your dog, but we also understand your preferences. So what you see is not a cognitive overload of 100 items that you might want to click through. We actually curate this based on what we know you like and what your dog needs. Uh, it's an interesting business. And I thought, uh, well, let's pretend like it's 2019. Wouldn't we all like to do that? Why was this business the right business in the history of, you know, humankind? Why was this more possible in 2019 than ever before? So dogs ownership, our parents like has been increasing every single year. What happened with COVID was there was an acceleration, right? People were at home. They started spending more time with the dogs. They started learning more about dogs. It's sort of a steroid shot that the industry got. But the, the cool part, it's not going away. Um, the dogs that you have in your life are there for a decade and guess what? You're going to take care of an infant, a toddler, a youngster, an adult and geriatric in a period of 10 to 15 years. But right now, no help from the industry because it's, again, commerce transactional driven versus relationship driven and emotional connection driven. And that's what we're seeing is customers coming in. They're understanding the dogs better. They want, you know, my dog needs to get the brush, uh, teeth brushed. And 99% of us typically don't do that. And the product in the market are, you know, either mechanical scraping but it's not fun for the dog. An uh, important part of our tenet is make sure that dogs have fun and it's actually fun for you as a dog parent as well. So we developed a triple enzymatic toothpaste that goes into a treat that we created grooves for that a dog enjoys. And guess what? It takes care of the teeth. And that's the important part of it is keeping dogs happy and healthy. It doesn't have to be mundane and boring. And that's where Bark steps in. Um, I want to get into some, uh, I was going to get to COVID, but you got there for us because obviously it was, COVID was a great time to be in the pet business flat out. What was the your takeaway now? Obviously, the the COVID is certainly not behind us right now, but the 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 lockdowns and and a lot of those behaviors are at least most much of it behind us. What do you, what is your take from how that changed your business and and or what was the size of the impact? Yeah, so history has told us that pets are recession proof and good times and bad times to turn to their pets for emotional support. You know, even putting their pets' needs above our own. Uh, while early in the pandemic, we did see some cancellations from customers who had been impacted by the pandemic, whether it was job loss, pay cuts, or illness. Overall, cancellations were flat to slightly better uh, than the same time the year before. 
Now, our happy team went to extraordinary lengths to work with any customers impact by COVID-19. And, you know, you mentioned CSAT early on, customer satisfaction. And that's something we're proud of. Our CSAT scores are 95 plus, not just for the this quarter, but for years. And, you know, the average industry is much lower. So that shows you that sort of a loyalty that we've generated with the, with the customers. On the flip side, we've been able to serve so many new customers who adopted dogs during the pandemic, introduce them to the world of Bark. And from a numbers perspective, the quarter that we announced, we saw 57 like 58% year over year growth, yeah. almost Dog 60% dropping. gross margin. And these were the quarters that were overlapping COVID. So what we're learning is regardless of, you know, whether it's COVID or not, whether you're spending time with the dog in office or in home, you want to spend time with the dog. These dogs are going to be served with you as you become, you know, part of a life. And we've been doing research on this in an international metric that basically, you know, uh, I think you mentioned a metric in one of your um, podcasts was uh, seven in 10 we're finding in our research, dog parents report that their relationship with their pups grew stronger due to the pandemic. And this is slightly more than those who say the same about the relationship with their, you know, family members. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I, well, I, uh, I took my family members for fewer walks. Uh, last year. Um, <laughs> let me ask you finally, and this is, this is a take a minute, but I think it's so interesting. Um, and this is a sort of an accounting thing, but I heard you talking about it in the last conference call your CFO did about your definition of churn. And what I'd like to do is you can walk me through, I think there's at least three ways that companies count churn. That is how many customers they sign up and then lose. Um, you guys have a, a, a extraordinarily conservative notion of churn. Maybe you can start with me. The, just give me a little accounting class here. What's the most uh, <laughs> aggressive um, dis, uh, uh, definition of churn? What's the sort of medium? And then what is it that you guys are doing? Right. See, um, churn can be looked in different ways. We are like over penalizing ourselves, um, the way you put it, uh, because we want to look at the right metrics uh, and share that uber detail, which a lot of people won't. Uh, a lot of companies look at churn as, let's say, did I ship a unit to a subscriber in the past 12 months? Uh, the way we look at it is not just that, which and they, I would and then say they, is, they consider that an active customer. If I yes. sent them one thing in the last twelve months, they're still right. on. If it was three hundred sixty-four days ago, cool. They're, those that's right. my active customer. Yep. And so remember, we look at churn in two ways. One is subscription churn. Second is a shipment churn. Subscription churn continues to be in the three to four percent range, which reflects customers that received a shipment in the last twelve months. This is similar to how marketplaces account for churn. But we also look at shipment churn. Shipment churn does not reflect customers leaving the Bark ecosystem, but rather delta in month-to-month -month shipments. For example, if a customer chooses to get a shipment every other month, they would count as shipment churn for six months of the year. This is more sensitive month-to-month -month and goes with seasonality, uh, but we expect churn to go down over time and LTV to grow. So as you think about us you know, scaling Eats business, which is 35 to 40 billion TAM, it's a market which is again uh, you know, dominated by legacy experiences where you can either buy a $50 bag of dog food, which says youth, puppy, or senior, or, you know, gut issues, or you spend $200 buying frozen fresh dog food. There's nothing that can give you the experience that I, I need as a dog parent is, I don't want to spend that much money. Can I get experience that's highly personalized, that evolves with my dog, where I have access to wellness nutritionist, but I don't pay an arm and a leg. So what Bark Eats does, for example, is we create this mix of a meal, which is kibble, topper, supplements, all combined for about 50 bucks. So you're getting a personalized experience for the same amount of money that you might pay in a store. Interesting. And so good. But back to the notion of churn. So if you've got a customer who used to get a, pro a box every month and they say, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to go back to every other month, you yep. consider that customer's churned Correct. out after six months? Or what's the math there? 
we consider that customer churned for every other month. So we calculate in the churn. That's why what you would have huh. seen in our last report was we saw a 7.4% churn uh, versus let's say an average which we expect for the year. And the way we see churn happening is cohort based. So when you look at what happened in COVID, the entire volume of that subscription base was so high that even normal churn would overweight it. And that's why we saw the churn happen from you know renewals. But we expect the same churn number, which we shared five to 6% shipping right. churn perspective, essentially year over year. I'm just thinking of all the other people who manage businesses who are listening to this podcast, trying to figure out what their numbers are and how they report those numbers. I think it's so interesting to dig a little bit deeper um, in those numbers. And let me ask you finally uh, about the eats business. Uh, that obviously, you know, the biggest expense for a dog owner until they go to the vet is going to be that that regular dog food right. uh, nut. And that's not been a big part of your business historically. Where are you in the rollout of that? And what are the uh, the next steps to that? So we started um, scaling eats um, last year. Uh, we launched in Columbus. We are serving about 22 states. What we had shared earlier was we want to launch nationwide by end of the year. So we have the capability to serve nationwide, but we are not actively marketing. And that's part of the kind of the tenets that we have is we learn from launches, we hear back from customers, you know, what do puppies like, what do different breeds like, and we scale that really fast. And while doing that, we have fun. If I was on video, I would show you, you know, what we've really designed is a, is a box that comes to you, which you flip open and it creates a dog-like emoji. Uh, it looks like a dog box. So it's really intriguing. But from a you know nutrition perspective, that's what we are going after is by end of this year, we would have, end of this fiscal year, we would have marketed to the states, US to begin with. And that's how we're approaching it. So, so all 50 states by the end of this year? Yes. Interesting, big rollout there. Um, I was just kidding about my dog. I like my dog. <laughs> Our listeners know my dog because they can hear my dog. If you listen really carefully to the theme music from the Drill Down podcast, you'll hear my dog somewhere there out in the distance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she's fine. One's, but one's good. Yeah, no, one is good. Two is better. I would encourage you to get two. But um, see, uh, how old is a dog? Wait, is this like martinis? Where one's okay. <laughs> two is perfect. Three is perfect. Uh, paraphrase the James more you Trevor. have that's my philosophy yes. uh my dog's probably about two or three years old yeah i think she's three. Oh, great so see as your dog grows um you know uh, again anecdote as uh, I, I i was super passionate about the business because of um, you know my first dog uh, called kiki uh, she passed away unfortunately last uh, month uh, but that. oh thank you but she was with me for 30 and a half years um she was an amazing companion um you know unconditional love and an amazing teacher and a coach so as she was growing, I was doing my own massive research. You know, if a data and spreadsheet guy, I do that and I figure out what to feed her, how to feed her. And as she grew older, I realized the amount of supplements I need to feed her to keep her healthy became onerous. And there was nothing that was there to guide me. I had to open five different boxes uh, and put it in there. I have to figure out the right food for her. And that's where I'm so excited about Eats and, you know, Bright, which are a health line is Simplify this for the dog parents, make it easy so they spend more time loving the dog, spending time with the dogs versus thinking about these things that we can solve. Yeah, I, I'm, mine wants me to throw the tennis ball more, not less. <laughs> um, Manish, thank you very much. Manish Jonaje is the CEO of Bark. Well, uh, coming up next on the drill on the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, an organization called Banfield Pet Hospitals. They've got more than a thousand veterinary stores. They did some studies about dogs and happiness, and they found that some people, get this, prefer working alongside their pets rather than their coworkers, especially after this last year. That's a near to one. So I'm going to let's let you guess. I'm not going to make you guess the percentage. I just want you to guess if it was more or less than half of all workers 
want to work with their dog, not with their coworkers beside them? We will have that answer. The percentage of people that prefer working next to their dogs rather than next to their actual coworkers when the drill down continues. Uh, I'm I'm right next to my dog right now as we speak, as I say this. And you're very far from me, but please But I'm going to do our sponsorship first because that's very important. So the drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the drill down on all sorts of podcast platforms. I mean, you name it, we're probably there, including now Deezer. Listening to us on Deezer, make sure you go back and leave a review or click follow us or subscribe. That way you can make sure you catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, thispod.net. Right, we're back with the drill down and the drill down bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot. And the answer is most people prefer working next to their coworkers than their dogs. But 20% 20 (laughs) do uh, prefer working next to their dogs than their coworkers. Um, Now I'll say, Isaac, should we ever get the chance to sit next to each other work? You're welcome to bring me the geriatric medicines and the supplements that I need at my age. (laughs) You know, my dog, Greta is just the supplement you need. You think so? Yeah. She's very good. I don't need any more surprise dogs. I got one. I like the one I got. All right. Thank you for listening to the drill down. We do appreciate it. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinary. He has a lovely dog as well. Drill down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Listen carefully. You can hear my dog back there somewhere. Somewhere.